afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY and 93.1 FM. We've got Kyle sitting in for Natil today. Kyle, how's it going? Good afternoon, Rob. It's going well. Glad to hear it. Your call-in number, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. I wrote about this on the blog yesterday. Uh, there was an article in Mother Jones magazine, which... Uh, I, I will admit I am not a frequent reader of, but this article was very, very well done, I thought. Its uh, headline was North Dakota's Norway Experience, Experiment. Uh, it's about uh, the director of the North Dakota Department of Corrections, uh, Leanne Birch, uh, and her staff's work uh, to align North Dakota's prison policies with those implemented in Scandinavian countries like Norway. Uh, it's very, very interesting. The article is, it's linked at sayanythingblog.com if you want to check, take a look at it. Uh, we're going to talk with, uh, with Leanne about what's going on, uh, what sort of improvements we've been seeing so far, and certainly could take your feedback on, on whether or not you like the direction the state's heading in this regard. The, you know, the, 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 the aim here, the goal, I think, is to maintain the standards of public safety that we want, which is to say that we want to rehabilitate criminals. Uh, and make sure that the people we're letting out of prison can rejoin society and not commit more crimes, uh, but also put you know have fewer people in, in prison. Because you know what? Packing a bunch of people into prison is really expensive. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. Uh, but right now, you know, uh, this, this week, Kyle, I have been working on, uh, you know, catching up again after vacation. Isn't it lovely you have to do that when you get back from vacation? It's like yeah. you have to make up for all the time that you were gone. Well, normally I, I keep my eye, you know, sort of on the news feeds and on everything. But this time I just, I unplugged completely. Like I just went. You've got like to do I deleted, that once in a while though. I deleted apps off my phone and everything. I just went completely dark uh, as far off as work grid. stuff. Yeah. So what that means is coming back, it's been a little bit of a lift to get caught up again on what's been going on. Uh, one thing that, that sort of caught my eye, and it's, it's not something that specifically happened over the vacation, but it's been discussed about a little bit more. Is this is Trump's Buy American mandate? Have you been following this at all? I really haven't. Un- I unfortunately have not. The first time he, he sort of dropped it right as he was coming into office. He sort of dropped it, you know, saying that he was going to approve the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, but that maybe he would put a requirement on it that the pipeline companies get all their steel for their pipelines from the United States. Um, basically, you have to use U.S. steel, U.S. products, and. I mean, obviously, it's 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 a it's a proposal that's that's very much draped in patriotism, right? I mean, this is the sort of thing politicians love to do. They wrap themselves in the flag, buy American, American goods, support American workers, and everything. Rah rah rah, America, and and that's fine as far as that goes. I like it when Americans succeed too. I think, uh, I think it's great to buy from American companies. I try to do it when I can. It's not such a bad thing. But what would you say, Kyle, if I told you that, that a, a policy mandating that a company buy a specific product based on geography, what if I suggested to you that that was un-American? Would you agree with me? I guess I would have to look at what company it is and what they are being mandated well, to buy. just the policy itself, though. I, I think the policy itself is un-American. And, and here's... Here's my argument, and people could call in if they want to disagree or shout at me, 701-293-9000, or email talk at WDAY.com. The reason why I think it's un-American is this. The United States of America was based on the idea that we as individuals are allowed to make 
choices in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, right? The pursuit of happiness. That's, that's in the founding document of our nation. You are allowed to, to live your life generally. I mean, obviously we have laws. We're not living in anarchy, but generally you're allowed to proceed and live your life and make choices that are best for you, right? So to me, that means, well, first of all, let me say, I think that's the key to America's success, right? We're just, we're letting the individual live their lives relatively unfettered. Go out there and succeed on your own merits. Make your choices, and you're either going to succeed or fail based on your choices. And because most people generally make good choices with their lives, most people are generally successful in the United States of America. I think that's a true thing. We're a very prosperous country. They use their, their regulatory power because that's what's happening here, right? Pipelines are, you know, when they cross state boundaries, they become interstate commerce. When they uh, cross international boundaries, for instance, the Keystone XL pipeline coming from Canada into the United States, you know, they become federal issues when they cross those borders. And so the government is essentially using its ability to regulate interstate and international commerce to muscle in and tell these companies where they got to buy their, their products, right? So if the key to being successful in America is that you're allowed to choose what sort of a job you want, you're allowed to choose what sort of a television you want to buy, or even whether you want a television, or where you whether want to rent your house or own your home, whether you know you, you what food you want to eat. You're allowed to make all of those choices, and that's a fundamentally American thing. So why is it an American thing if we're going to tell a company you can only buy your steel in the United States? How is that? I think that is un-American. And I have more to say about it, but I'd love to hear what you think, too. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY and 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. So we're talking about Trump's Buy American mandate. And, and again, this is something politicians love. They wrap themselves in the flag. Everybody's rah, rah, American, wave the flag. Uh, you know, and I'm, listen, I'm a patriot. I, I like patriotism. It's just my understanding of patriotism is that free trade is foundational to America's success. Right. I mean, we are we are successful because American citizens and the, the businesses or the organizations that they create are free to buy, to make choices in their own self-interest, to make the choices that are best for them. And I understand throughout our, our nation's history, we've had, you know, trade tariffs and other protectionist policies. And we've implemented, you know, embargoes on countries as, as a diplomatic tool or or, you know, for, for the sake of national security. Like, we've, we've done those things, and I get those things, but what Trump is doing is different. He's going to, you know, a, a specific industry, the pipeline industry, and he is telling them you have to buy your steel only from within the United States. I mean, honestly, for, for, for the Republicans out there who are inclined to, to, to defend Trump on this, for the conservatives out there who, who are inclined to defend Trump, really tell me, what's the difference between Trump's Buy American mandate and the Obamacare insurance mandate? Right? I, I mean, I remember, um, myself included, conservatives being pretty upset at the idea that the federal government would tell us, you have to buy health insurance 
you have to engage in this commerce. We had a whole big debate about it. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. Conservatives were irate that the Supreme Court ruled that that sort of a mandate was constitutional. I still, to this day, don't think it is. Because I don't think the government in a free society has any business saying, you must engage in commerce. And I also don't think the government has any business saying, well, because we can regulate pipelines, because we can regulate interstate commerce, we can narrow the category geographically of the products that you can buy and you can only buy from the United States of America. I don't think, I don't think that's in keeping with American principles. I don't think it's good for America economically. Because here, here's another facet of it. it. It's not just limiting the choices of the business itself. It's also sending a message to, in this instance, U.S. steelmakers. It's sending a message to them saying, essentially, you don't necessarily, we're going to dilute the competition for you with other companies in the world. You don't have to compete with them because you're an American. Now listen, again, my understanding of American society, American culture, is that we very much believe in competition, right? We believe you go out, you make choices, you do the best job you can, you compete for the job, you compete for the salary. Americans are competitive. And that competition, I think, is what makes us strong. And so when we dilute that competition, when we tell American companies, you don't have to compete with these foreign powers anymore for pipeline business, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that makes us stronger. I think people who think it does make us stronger are economically illiterate. They're shallow thinkers. Now, it might make for good politics. Because let's face it, voters are kind of dumb, right? A lot of, a vast swath of the American electorate is kind of dumb, not really paying attention, not spending a lot of time thinking about these things too deeply. But, but I'm sorry, I, it, it, it drives me nuts that Donald Trump would wrap himself in the American flag and act like he's doing something good for our country, when in reality he is undermining the bedrock principles of what made this country great. I have never understood the Buy American thing. I, I think one of the best things about this country, Kyle, and I love this, I, I think one of the best things, you can walk down any store in America, and I don't care where the store's at. I mean, it could be in New York City in Manhattan, or it could be in Ray, North Dakota. You can walk down in the aisle of that store and choose from a main, among products made from all over the world. I think it's one of the best things about this country. I would agree with you. That's great. That's yeah. that's fantastic because that as a consumer, that's I mean, it's a consumer market. You can buy what whatever product you want from whatever country you want. Uh, maybe it's going to be a better price. Maybe it's going to be a better quality product. It's up to you as a consumer that way. You're not being forced to buy it from one specific country. And I understand that. Um, yeah. And that's why you dislike this mandate, correct? Yeah, it is. I I, I don't think people understand. If, if you only had, because everybody, oh, buy a. Buy American, buy American. Well, if you could only choose from among products made in the United States, and listen, a lot of U.S. made products are great, right? You should absolutely buy them because they're good products. You know, you should make the choices that work best for you as an individual. I'm not saying don't buy American. If you want to make that choice, that's up to you. You know, we all have different values. We all, you know, some people might value, uh, you know, think, well, I'll pay a lot of money for this because I think it's good quality. Somebody's like, well, I don't, you know, it's, you know, I don't need it to last me very long, so I'm just going to pay a little bit of money for this. I mean, we've all, we all make our purchasing options 
choices based on different criteria that are very personal to us in our situations. And that's that's fine. We should be free to do that. All I'm saying is that you should be able to, to be free. You and whatever companies or organizations or whatever that you create should be able to do that. You should be able to have that choice. And I'm telling you that if we start limiting this, protectionist policies, the only thing it's going to do is drive up costs for us here in the United States. Right. I mean, people talk all the time about like in- income stagnation and everything like that. And I think that's an important thing to talk about, because I think in a lot of ways that that is a real thing. But on the flip side is we also don't talk about what technology and, and what, what globalization has been able to do to drive down the cost of the things that are in our day to day lives. Right. That's the other part of the equation that we don't talk about. Is that you can buy things that do a lot more things, uh, you know, uh, televisions and computers. I mean, go home and sit and look around your living room and ask yourself how much your television and your streaming device and your DVD player and your computer and your laptop and your printer and everything else would cost you if everything could only be made in the United States. Your toaster, your microwave, your refrigerator. If, if, if everything you had, and, and not just the product itself that, that assembled, but all the component parts as well. If everything had to be made in the United States, imagine how much that would cost you. How much more, how much less you'd be able to buy because all those products to, had to be made. I would yeah. not be able to buy an Apple product. <laughs> your quality of life would, would diminish because you would be able to – your dollar would, wouldn't go as far. It's just basic economics. We benefit when other companies bring their products here into the United States because it's not just about buying American to stimulate American companies. It's about how far your dollar goes – what your purchasing power is as an individual. That has got to be part of the equation. Now, I absolutely want American companies to be competitive. I understand that sometimes there are things we have to do to level the playing field because some countries don't implement things like labor laws, right? Basic human civil rights that we here in the United States, companies here observe. And so they can undercut us on price. And I can understand needing to implement policy to adjust for that, right? Because I don't think... You know, we necessarily want to buy cheap goods here in America because another country is using slave labor. So I understand if we're going to do it like that. But this idea that we're just going to force people to buy American just because that's sound economic policy, please. It's un-American. It doesn't work. Trump's wrong. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about corrections coming up next. What's going on in North Dakota's prisons? Leanne Birch, director of the Department of Corrections, on with me next. This is The Rob Report on 970 WDAY and 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY and 93.1 FM. Your call-in number is 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. We're going to talk a little bit about North Dakota's prisons. This is uh, from an article in uh, Mother Jones Magazine, headline, North Dakota's Norway Experiment. I quote, late one night in October 2015, North Dakota Prison's Chief Leanne Birch met Carrie Ann Jackson, one of her deputies, for a drink at a hotel bar in Oslo, Norway. They had just spent an exhausting day touring Halden, a maximum security facility time has dubbed the world's most humane prison, yet neither of them could sleep. So what was going on? We have uh, Leanne Birch on the program with us. 
And uh, Leah, first of all, I, I, thank you for your time. That was a fascinating profile. And what did you see? I mean, because this this magazine article really describes sort of a a, a wake up moment when you visited Norway. It, t- tell us about that. So uh, we really saw a system that was uh, years ahead of the United States in really looking at what works. They had been in a similar position the United States was in, a uh, lot of violence and crime in their prisons. They were had they had staff deaths um, at the result of uh, inmate stabbings. They had a high recidivism rate that was continuing to increase. And so they could have gone one of two ways. They could have gone the way that I think the United States has gone, which was to become more punitive and more restrictive, but they actually decided they needed to try something different. So they basically started um, with their prison system and how they were actually going to interact with the people they had incarcerated there. And so from an all-time high recidivism rate, um, they are now probably some of the lowest recidivism rates in the world. But more, I think what was more compelling than just the data and the outcomes that they're seeing is how they actually interact and um, their prisons don't look the same. Um, The staff interact much differently with the incarcerated individuals in that system and the results are really um, paying dividends for public safety in their country. That sounds promising. Run us down. I mean, what are we talking about? What, What are some of the specific policy changes that you observed in Norway and also in terms of what you have, um, what we've implemented here in North Dakota so far? So a basic tenet of their approach is that um, punishment is the restriction of freedom. So instead of, you know, we take away an individual's freedom, but we're not going to take away their humanity and their dignity. And so one of their tenets is that life inside will resemble the outside world as much as possible, the, the theory of normality. So we, we often see this, and we've talked about it for years, is that oftentimes prisons turn people into more violent and worse criminals than before they came in, and oftentimes that's because we institutionalize them. So we go from a system where they are um, basically not given any uh, abilities to live normally, so they don't make any decisions, um, So the risk of new criminality during incarceration is extremely low while under a very high security level. And then after a long prison sentence with high security levels, um, there's an abrupt transition to freedom, which means a very high risk of likely of um, to reoffend. And so basically they really embrace that. The smaller the difference between life inside and outside, the easier the transition and the more likelihood that that individual is going to be uh, a better citizen and makes the whole community a lot safer. What sort of dividends has this paid in North Dakota so far? And I, and I know, I mean, we're talking about a relatively short, I think 2015 was your trip to Norway. Um, sure. Obviously, it takes time to, to implement uh, policy, and then it takes time for that policy to start showing up in the data. But, I mean, what what are we seeing so far? I mean, can you give us some stats or some data to, to, to see what, what sort of these what these reforms are are accomplishing? Sure, Rob. So, I mean, we we are fairly new into it. I think what we're seeing, though, is in our facilities, the the interactions are more friendly. Um, I think that we're doing probably the most work at our minimum security facility here in Bismarck, where we're trying to really uh, make living 
more normal. We've increased work release by 400% um, at that facility. People are able to have more money in their accounts when they leave. Um, we're taking them out to... So people that have basically had a fairly long incarceration and they're transitioning out, we're really um, taking them into the community. Some of these people who have served 20, 25 years um, wouldn't know what the outside really looks like. They don't know how to use a debit card. Maybe they're not used to even interacting with people. So we're doing a much better job of getting them uh, acclimated to the free world so that um, oftentimes if they're not acclimated, they'll commit a crime just so they can come back in because they get that institutionalized. Um, you know, and I think prison, prisons and jails are the cultural epicenter of our use of punishment and I think change within them will have a profound impact outside of them as well. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. There is, a, there is a, I think, sometimes an attitude when it comes to prison uh, about, and I, I always think to my favorite prison movie, The Shawshank Redemption, there's a part in there where, uh, the, the character Andy is trying to get funds from the state legislature for a prison library, and he says something to the effect that, you know, a lot of times the only thing the public wants to hear about prisons is more guards, more bars, more cells, right? That's that's it. Right. I, th- I think that does describe a fairly common attitude in, in, in the public where we feel like if we're not if we're not being punitive with the prisoners that we're not we're not serving they're not paying their debt to society, right? I, and I, this is not this is not a feeling that I have. I guess I'm so I'm trying to describe a feeling that other people have. But I, I think I think that's a very common attitude. Can you address that in the context of these reforms? People who might be concerned that we're not f- fulfilling, you know, the the, the duty to, to have some of these people who have truly done some pretty awful things pay their debt to society. Well, and that's where the paying their debt to society is. Um losing their freedom. I don't think anyone wants to be incarcerated and not have access to the free world, not be able to see their family members, not be able to go where they want, not to be able to eat the food they want. Um, Basically, the conditions are difficult in in a prison, but I think we have to have a much clearer reason, idea about why we punish people and that must include an, an honest acknowledgement of the many reasons for doing it, is there's this great need to um, inflict pain, because we're not the Department of Punishment and, and Pain. We're the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And the long-term safety isn't just about incapacitation while we have them in custody. So we're in the business of creating public safety, and we know how to operate secure institutions. And incapacitation creates a temporary public safety, but those individuals are going home someday, and we have to do a better job than simply incapacitating because 95% of them are coming out, and we need to address the deficits, the um, the needs of those individuals so that they're not going to go out and create more victims. And so this this idea that we need to inflict punishment and make, make it very painful while they're here actually defeats the purpose of corrections, which is really all about public safety. And I know it doesn't feel good sometimes, and, um, you know, I think uh, my deputy that went with me to, to Norway was asked this one time in a class when she was talking about this, and um, she said, well, well what if I were a victim 
uh, what if you were the victim? Well, how would you feel if your family member were the victim? She goes, I'd be, I'd be angry. And, she's, and she said, but we're not like the Department of Emotions. We're the Department of Corrections. And the fact of the matter is we're not trying to do our jobs based on emotion, but we're basically trying to do our jobs based on what works. So how do we get people to change their behavior? And we have to actually create an environment that allows people to change their behavior. And creating a violent um, institution isn't going to create better people when they come out. It's going to create very angry, violent people that will go back out and recommit more offenses. And we're trying to work very, very hard that's, um, to reduce our recidivism rate. And that's been difficult. I mean, we've done all the things, what works and stuff. And the fact of the matter is if we don't change the environment in which people are trying to change their behavior while they're here, we're not going to really see any success. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. A few minutes left here with Leanne Birch. She is the director of the North Dakota Department of Corrections, uh, which is not the North Dakota Department of Inflicting Pain. I, I like that. I like the way you put that very much. I, I was, I, I, I do think it's interesting that that last piece you just said, because one thing was I was scrolling through the Mother Jones article. And again, I have it linked at sayanythingblog.com if you want to check it out. The headline, if you just want to search for it, is North Dakota's Norway exper- experiment. Some of the people, you know, some of the pictures are showing prisoners. Uh, it looks like they're maybe playing like a softball game. Uh, they have uh, prisoners sitting around a, a campfire. Uh, you know, doing some sort of religious study. I mean, I, I could understand that that if if one of the one of the men in these pictures had done something awful to me or had done something awful to a member of my family, and now I see them at a, a, a camp, uh, you know, sort of enjoying themselves, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. You know, and and I guess that's what you're getting at with the emotional contingent. Have you have you gotten criticism as you've implemented these policies? Have you received criticism? you know, along those lines? Oh, absolutely. This is a huge cultural shift. In fact, um, there's people who work in our system that they say, you know, these individuals don't deserve this. They're, they're criminals. They committed a crime. And we're like, yep, that's right. They did. They lost their freedom. And our job is to try to change behavior. So some of the pictures depicted in the article, uh, it wasn't a camp. That's, you know, a religious, I mean, they still have their rights for religious practices even when they are in prison. Um, but I guess the fact of the matter is is a lot of criminals need to actually replace bad habits with good habits. So when they're engaging in a conduct like softball or some sort of normal recreational activity, that's a good thing because guess what? A lot of them probably didn't have extracurricular activities that were legal. Um, I don't want them to go out and break into cars or think that they have to get high to, for recreational activity, you have to actually get them to find legal, normal ways to spend their time. And part of that is you have to show them and, and teach them those different things. And so I, some I, of that I, feels contrary to yeah. this whole thing of punishment. I, I guess the point is, is, is that I mean, uh, you know, especially because these pictures are of you said a minimum security facility, right? Correct? So, so most of these men are getting out at some point, right? They are. I mean, they're going to be released back out. So, I, I think the idea is we don't want them to still be criminals when they get out. Now, obviously, we can't necessarily accomplish that in every goal. You know, I mean, no right. system is perfect, but generally, we want them to. I mean, we don't want them to come out and be 
just inclined to continue antisocial behavior. We want them to come out and do normal things like play softball and have a job and, and maybe raise a family and contribute to pay their taxes and contribute to society and not commit crimes. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that's the, I mean, so I, I guess to me that just makes a lot of sense. I mean, that just, if, if we treat them like human beings, you know, they're obviously being punished. They've had their freedom taken away, but we treat them like human beings. We try to give them some skills. We try to give them some normal. And when they get released back into society, hopefully they'll use those skills and they'll use that acclimation to normal to just reintegrate with society. So, but we're out of time, Leanne. Thank you so much. Uh, it's very exciting to watch what you're doing. Please keep us in the loop. Thanks for having me, Rob. That's uh, Leanne Burge, director of the North Dakota Department of Corrections. I'm Rob Port. We'll wrap the show up right after this. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Oak away. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY and 90, uh, 90, it's 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Well, that's an exciting change, isn't it, Kyle? It's that an happened awesome while I was change. gone too, but it's 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 fantastic. I'm excited about it. Seven zero one two nine. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. If you're ever in the area and you can turn that thing on on FM and hear that stereo sound, it just makes well, a, had- makes a huge difference. Compared to the the mono on AM, but I I had you know obviously the AM goes to a larger area, but yeah, I mean, right. if you could get that FM signal, I had people emailing me the, you know yesterday telling me, boy, you sound so clear, uh, you know, sound really good on the FM on the FM uh, signal seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. If you want to join in eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday dot com. Speaking of emails, Kevin emails uh, Rob. Did they do anything to have the prisoners understand the harm? They have done their victims. Uh, we obviously that that question directed to our guest in the last segment, uh, North Dakota Department of Corrections Director Burr, implementing a lot of refer uh, reform you know, as a huge cultural shift. Uh, you know, because I I think there is an attitude that sort of permeates the American criminal justice system that that, that permeates the American public that if you commit a crime, you know, you should go to jail and you should. I don't want to say there's an expectation that you be treated badly, but but an expectation that it be extremely punitive. And, I, and I'm not sure that produces good outcomes. Um, you know, so I, I don't doubt and I don't I don't want to speak for uh, Leanne Birch. But, you know, I, I certainly think that that's a contingent of it, that they're talking to the prisoners about the things that they did uh, and, and educating them about the consequences of their actions. But on the flip side, Kyle, I am very excited about this idea, about this shift. You know, this is something I, I've been talking about for a long time. Not not that anybody is doing this because I've been talking about it. But, uh, I, you know, I, I'm excited about it because I, 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 this just makes sense to me. I mean, it just makes sense that if you put somebody in prison and you treat them the entire time that they're there like a criminal and then they come out and they continue to be a criminal, why, why are we surprised by that? Absolutely. Why I mean, would we be surprised by that? You have to treat them like human beings, and you have to get them right. back into society properly. Otherwise, you're going to have an overcrowded prison system like we have in this country right now. And and we're going to have recidivism. We're going to have violence in in the prisons where where other prisoners are they're hurting each other, where they're hurting uh, the staff, the guards. You know, they're they're hurting law enforcement officers. They're going to commit more crimes when they get out and hurt other people. I mean, that's not that is the cycle that we want to stop. We want it when they come out of these facilities, because, again, most of them are getting released again. Right. There's right. I mean, maybe they they serve five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. And then they get out again. 
Yeah, there's there's and a, if we're gonna there's a line there th- where you can tr- you treat them yeah. like an animal or you treat them like a human being, and you just have to treat them more like human beings, and then they will not. Right. They won't act like an animal. I mean, it, to, and, to and, the and listen, around them. Some of them are. I'm you know I'm willing to acknowledge that some of them are probably just beyond help. Right, like they're just going to be animals regardless. And that probably goes uh, to, uh, you know, a lot of these people probably need more mental help than they do actually right. need to be incarcerated. Right, right. Somebody, yeah, I, I would, do, you know, I guess my point being there are some for which, you know, there's just, we just don't have a lot of choices, right? But but for, for I, I would say for the vast majority that we're putting in the penal system, we need to look at, I, I I think from day one that they're there, we need to be looking at how we're going to reintegrate them back into society because ultimately that's where they're going, right? And I don't think you know if if they're if they're you know whatever they're violent in prison that doesn't matter. What matters is when they get out of prison, if they're going to continue to be violent, if they're going to co- continue to commit crimes, then we have failed. And so if letting them play softball and letting them do some some of this other stuff and live you know somewhat normal lives while in prison. Makes them better people when they get out of prison? Why is that not a win? Anyway, that's it for me. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday right here on 970 WDAY and 93.1 FM or 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.